in Daniel again this morning. Probably one more week next week. Um, just trying to think through how to think, what to think. Um, this really could be a sermon series that could have happened at any point uh, in most of our lives. Um, that there are things about our nation that are in fact just like Babylon, um, where we are foreigners. We are not in our final home. We are like Moses who despised the riches of Egypt and instead looked forward to his eternal home. And that is what we do, no matter what is going on in the earth, that our eternal home is with God. And we long for that day to come. But in regards to just the general feeling of unrest that's happening, I thought it would be good to just give us some assurance. And so last week, um, really stressing that um, that God would assure us that he is in control, that there is not a king who has ever existed at any point in the history that is not at his direct command. And that because of that, um, we should be praying and we should petition God for wisdom. Um, we're just jumping forward in the book of Daniel a few chapters. So unlike my sermon series through First Timothy, it's not going to be uh, you know hundred sermons through the book of Daniel. So for that, you can be thankful. Um, but the things that have happened. So we we were left off in chapter two last week. Things that have happened was um, Daniel did. Um, Interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And then the famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego happens, where they're tossed into the fiery furnace. That's also with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, And then he has another dream, and Daniel interprets that. And that's the dream that's interpreted that Nebuchadnezzar, if he doesn't glorify God, will be as a wild beast for seven years. And that happens. Nebuchadnezzar does not glorify God, but instead he exalts himself, and God ravages his mind, turns him into a man who eats grass um, and acts like a savage for seven years until his sanity returns. And then God causes Nebuchadnezzar to prophesy. And he says, at the end of, this is chapter four, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now there is history here in our United States of things like this happening, Um, not of of a president being turned out to pasture for seven years that we know of. Um but of presidents who really were not godly in and of themselves. Nebuchadnezzar didn't become a Christian, um, he, but he did proclaim true things about God. 
Um, and our presidents for a long time did that sort of thing. Who, although they were in many parts, Rick and I were just talking about this, many of our presidents up until about the last 70 to 80 years were deists. So they believed, they believed basically that God in heaven turned on the earth, wound it up like a clock, and now he's just watching it unfold. That's how many of our presidents believed about God. But, to their credit, they spoke true things about God often to their people, just like Nebuchadnezzar did at the end of his reign. And we should thank God for that. That's not something we should toss aside lightly. I read to you the Thanksgiving proclamation of Abraham Lincoln that Thanksgiving, and it would be an unbelievable blessing to our country should either Trump or Biden Those presidents say those words. Whether they believe them or not, it is a blessing to a country to have truth proclaimed from the highest office. So that's happened, okay? So then Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, takes the reins. Um, And this is the kind of the eerie, spooky story of Daniel. I mean, not that there aren't other eerie, spooky things that happen in Daniel, but this is the, the handwriting on the wall. A hand appears, writes on the wall, many, many, Tekel Parson. Everyone's freaked out of their minds, and Daniel interprets it. You have, you have been weighed and found wanting, and behold, the Medes and Persians are going to take your kingdom from you. Um, Daniel interprets that. That's all happened, and then the night of that prophecy, many, many, Tekel and Parson, Daniel says, it's going to be taken. The Medes and the Persians are coming. Belshazzar dies that night. And then Darius, the Mede, comes. And he begins to rule in Babylon. And that's where we find ourselves, uh, is at the beginning of the rule of Darius the Mede. Um, You see throughout history, various kingdoms come and go, and various amounts of wisdom given to those kings. Um, The Medes and the Persians had, in many ways, modern ideals about society. Um, they had, and, and Babylon to some extent, now they were savage in, in the way they ruled, but they also allowed much in the way of freedom of religion, and they allowed much in freedom of way of life. And so basically, as long as you acknowledged whoever was the king to be the king of kings, you were free to live your life. And... That mostly held true, Um, and so that caused problems, uh, because when Christians are free to live as men and women who fear God, God blesses them. We have one of those men, I believe, in the second highest office in the land, and that's Mike Pence. Uh, Mike Pence, to everything that we read about the man, when he was here in Indiana, although I would disagree with him on some rulings he did, I believe the man was trying to follow God in his conscience. And he has done so under President Trump for four years. And he has done so with the aid of a good, godly wife. And we should be very thankful that that's allowed to happen. There are many countries where that is not going to happen. If you go to the Middle East, 
You do not have freedom of worship, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. There is no Mike Pence at the second highest office in the United Arab Emirates. There is no Mike Pence at the second highest office in Iran. It is pagan to the core. But here in the United States and back then in Babylon, thankfully, by God's kindness, believers were allowed to actually believe and practice. And so that causes problems for those who hate God. Caused problems back then for Daniel, as we'll see. So this is Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius. Now some of you might pronounce that Darius. I can't do it. So it's Darius from here on out. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. You can think of them like governors. To be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials. Of whom Daniel was one. To whom the satraps should give account. So that the king might suffer no loss. So Daniel is one of the... So there's the king... And then there are three. Daniel is one of the three highest officials in all of Babylon. Now before this, he was one of the counselors. He was one of the advisors to Nebuchadnezzar and to Belshazzar. But he was not the vice president. He was just in the cabinet meetings, right? Now Daniel has been exalted to the highest office in the whole land. We're talking about the kingdom of Persia. The Medes, the Babylonian kingdom, it was enormous, stretching from mid-China all the, way to the, all the way into Africa. I mean, this is a huge, huge kingdom. And God, in his providence, has had the Babylonians take captive Daniel and the rest of the Jews so that Daniel would be one of the highest rulers in the Medo-Persian Medo Empire. That is an incredible thing that God in his providence wiped out the city of Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed, and a whole herd of Israelites were made captive in Babylon so that 60 years afterwards, one of the highest officials in the land would be a godly man. You can't make this kind of thing up. That is only by the hand of a God who is doing things that are beyond us. We have no idea what in the world he is doing. We just know he's good and he does them. Okay, so then verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Right? So he just continues. I could just... All right, you're one of the three, but you know what? I'm thinking now I've got to set up a whole office for you. That's just me, you, and then everyone else because there's just nobody else like you, Daniel. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What a statement. What a statement. How how jealous, how envious were these other men of the things God was doing for Daniel. 
and how unable they were to attack him at a character level. You know, we talked months ago about the character nature of elder and pastor. Daniel was that guy. He was, without a doubt, a man who was righteous. There could be no fault found in him. And so what do they have to resort to? They have to resort to trying to trap him a second way. To make his religion the cause of his downfall. The thing that he believed that was causing him to be a faithful man. They had to knock it out from underneath him. This is why, in fact, Cain killed Abel. This is from 1 John um, chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous and it infuriated him because he could see it. That's what's happening in the book of Daniel. These other satraps, these other governors, they're ruling and they hate Daniel because he's so godly. Because it makes their deeds look wicked. They despise him for it. And they seek to trap him. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, you should notice that they're lying here. Like, they want to trap him, but they have to do it under pretense of a lie because they say all the prefects, all the satraps, all the counselors, all the governors are agreed. Now, who do you think may have been missing from that conversation? Daniel! Daniel would not have agreed to such an Awful command and awful edict. They lied. They lied. And it is the same thing that you see in Cain and Abel, right? So God comes and says, Where where is your brother Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? It's a lie. It's a it's a cover. I am not listen, I'm we we gotta cover up what I'm doing with some falsity because I know it can't stand it's got no root now O king establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction so they press him sign it sign it get it done let's go when Daniel knew that the document had been signed He went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Now, there's various disagreements on what this means. Um, Did he open the windows, or did he just have open windows? 
it's much more likely, I think, that he just had open windows. I don't think he went in and threw open the shutters to try and embolden the approach. But that may have happened. It may be what's meant here. But I think more than likely, it's the fact that they just had open windows in the middle of the desert in Babylon uh, to give air through the place. So anyway, whether he threw them open or they were open, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Okay, so let's think through what's happening here. The bad satraps, the bad governors, those men who hated God, knew that Daniel was a good man, and then they watched him to find out about his religion. What are the things that Daniel does so that we might trap him in them? And this is one of the things that they observed him doing. It's three times a day, as he had done previously, he would pray. They knew this about him. His religion was not private. It was not closed off. It was not for him and no one else. Um, there has been, since, um, since JFK, our presidents and virtually every other elected official has said something along the lines of, so let's back up. So JFK, first, I think still the only Catholic president, right? Why was it such a big deal for a Catholic to be a president of the United States? What? Is Joe Biden a Catholic? He could. Okay, well, he, he'll be the next one. He's not president yet. He will. He's coming. All right. Yeah. So if you're a Catholic, the head of your church is the Pope. Now, that's not that big of a deal, except for the Pope happens to also be the king of the Vatican City, which is a foreign state. So you have now divided allegiance between a foreign empire and your own. You can see why thinking people would go, this is, this is a problem. Because if you're a good Catholic and the Pope says, do this or don't do that, you have to do this or don't do that. And if that Pope decides that our kingdom should be at war with something we don't think, but... You know, he's following the Pope and not... And so JFK basically said, I forget his exact words, but my religion will not affect how I rule. Like, it's, it's private. It doesn't have any impact on my ruling. And every president since then has said the same. My religion is over here, and my rule is over here. That can't be true. It's true for no man. It was not true for JFK. Our religion, the things we think about God, whether good, bad, or indifferent, decide our ethics, decide our morality, decide, in fact, what we do. If we have this view of God, we go this way. If we have this view of God, we go this way. This view of God, we go this way. So you can't, in fact, have separation of your beliefs from your actions. You can't do it. Because if that's true, then you actually just believe these things and not those. 
So JFK made this statement. All the presidents and most elected officials since have said the same. But God says to us, your religion impacts everything. What you believe about me impacts how you live, how you lead, how you walk, how you talk, whether you go left, whether you go right. Your religion is, in fact, the most important thing about you. And they had observed this about Daniel, that he was unflappable. And why? Because he was dedicated to the God of all creation. And they hated God. There is, this is a quote from John Calvin. There is no doubt that they knew Daniel to be a pious man and approved by God. Hence, when they plotted against hit God's holy prophet, they purposely waged war with God himself. To wage war with Daniel was to wage war with God. Now, let's back up a step and think. What does this mean for us? Will we have a high office in the cabinet? Are we going to be the next Mike Pence? Probably not. Right? There's only been, how many presidents have we had now? 46? 46 presidents, 46 vice presidents. It's kind of an exclusive class. We're probably not going to be number 48, okay, of either of those. But we do have the duty to live rightly before God just like Daniel did. Now, from our studies in 1 Timothy, uh, we know that we should be praying for leaders in all high places so that we might live a quiet and godly life. Right? So this is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For, Christians, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the Spirit. What is, in fact, our duty before God? It's the same as Daniel's. It's to live our lives in the fear and in the presence of God. It's to say that we may be slandered, we may be harmed. Do not be surprised by these things. Do not be surprised by these things. When men hate God and you love God, men will hate you. They will do things against you. But let them have no ground to stand on. Live in such a way that they may be put to shame when they accuse you of such things. That does not mean 
they might not falsely accuse you. And it doesn't mean that you might not suffer, right? Verse 17 of First Peter 3, For it is better to suffer for doing good. It's better to suffer for doing good. And that's exactly what happens to Daniel. Daniel doesn't escape uh, the judgment of the king. He doesn't escape the plan and the trick and the, of the satraps and the governors who conspired against him. At least he doesn't escape it in the um, physical sense. He, he's not able to uh, argue his way out with an attorney. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't uh, find the best attorney in the land and consult with him and say, you know, I know it's, I know it's usually the law that you can't rescind a, a command because of the law of the Medes and Persians, but it was done in falsely, right? These guys lied to you. I wasn't actually in agreement. This can't happen. And what, what has been for months now, um, and really not just the first time, all the time in politics, there's always more politicking to do. There's always more attorneys to hire. There's always more laws to find out. There are always ways to get around whatever is decided. And we tend to hope in that. We tend to think if only, you know, this guy could argue this case before these people, then we wouldn't have to do this or that. If only this guy with this case could happen. And that doesn't mean there's no place for courts in the Christian. It doesn't mean that there's no place for that. Um, I've got a friend, Corey Miller, part of Radio Christi, president of Radio Christi. It's a mostly a collegiate organization um, declaring the truths of Christ on campuses, uh, mostly for doctoral students. And they have a case going before the Supreme Court as we speak um, because of the suppression of free speech on a campus. So it doesn't mean there are never any avenues for a Christian to hire an attorney to beat back the powers of Satan. It does mean that we must not hope in those things because they are not the thing that saves us. They never have been. They never will be. And we can get very wrapped up in this. It's just the same last week when everything went down at the Capitol. It was just awful. And and we immediately began to put our hopes in allegiances with so-and-so and with so-and-so, this side, that side. Our final appeal is to God for a good conscience. Our final appeal is to God. And that's what Daniel found himself doing, right? So when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went, he prayed as he had previously done. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and pleas before his God. They knew he was going to do it. They set a trap for him. They saw him doing it. They came in. They had evidence. They had witnesses. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that uh, anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Remember that little, little thing we did? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Yeah, then they answered and said before the king, uh, Daniel, who, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, you, you see how they lay out their argument. It's, listen, you know, Daniel, the, that exile from Judah? It's not even, he's not a Mede. He's not a Persian. He has no pure blood. That guy who is from a foreign land, who you have made ruler of all of us, that guy, remember him? Yeah, he pays no attention to you. <laughs> now, thankfully, God has many times given pagan kings wisdom beyond their paganness. And Darius has a good amount of wisdom. And he knows they're full of... The reality is, he knows Daniel pays attention to him. Because he is ready to make Daniel the leader of the whole kingdom. He's no idiot. And he knows he's been duped. He knows he's been duped. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And set his mind to deliver Daniel. So now the king. Now the king is going, all right. Uh, I'm going to just use Rudy. <laughs> right? This is, Trump's, this is Trump's guy, right? Rudy, what, what do we got? What do we got? Let's lay them all out. So he turns to his attorneys. All right, guys. What do we have? What can we do? Right? I, I, made, the, I made the edict. I signed it. According to the law, it can't be revoked. How are we going to get this done? Daniel clearly is a good man. I need him. He can't die. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. All day. He was in council with his counselors all day to try and undo this thing. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. There's nothing you can do, king. Your hands are tied. Your hands are tied. You can't do anything against this. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So he did it. The law had spoken. Law had to be kept for the rule of the land. No injunction could be brought against it. No attorney could outsmart it. Had to happen. We have that sort of thing here in our country. And still, even despite many, many attempts and many failures and a lot of uneasiness, the thing teetering and tottering, the rule of law, praise God, has not fallen. Now, there are lots of places where it's pockmarked, lots of places where it is teetered. But we are still, thankfully, a law, a nation with law. And if you don't think so, I encourage you to look at other countries that have no law, that the law has tottered and fallen. It is much worse. Now, that doesn't mean our country might not have that happen. It just means it hasn't happened yet. And so that's what happened. The king, Darius, submitted to the law that was established in the land. That's what often happens here. Um, and it should happen here. Because God rules through broken, sinful men, through laws. That's how he keeps 
peace in the world. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Again, I go back to this is not a Christian man. This is not a serving Jew. This is not a proselyte of Judaism. This is the king of the Medes. He does not actually bow his knee to God. And yet he says, May the God you serve rescue you. He just speaks truth. He says true things. What a gift from God in our country still even in its paganness, still has these things sort of uttered. Our vice president, Mike Pence, did the very thing um, about a week ago. Sent a letter to Madame Pelosi, Speaker of the House. And what does he do? He appeals to Scripture in that letter. Quotes Ecclesiastes. He says, don't invoke the 25th Amendment. Don't do it. It's not good. And then he signs his name in Christ. What a gift that we have in our country that we take for granted. Mike Pence, in many ways, right now, is acting as Daniel did. Faithful, in a hard spot, trying to submit, trying to do what is right before the eyes of God and men, and calling others to faithfulness. Now, he probably, in many ways, torpedoed his own hopes for the presidency in those last two weeks. For various reasons, he has alienated a lot of people on both sides of the aisle. And we may disagree with him. We may think he was wrong for this decision, that decision. However you view it, the man is trying to be faithful before God. And we should applaud that, whether we agree with him or not. So then... May that your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Can you, can you imagine this? Here's the king of the Medes, one of the most cruel kingdoms in the whole history of the world, distraught over Daniel, a man of God. You, I, I'm telling you, you could not write a story like this. You couldn't make this up. This, this is so unreal because it is God's doing. It's God's doing. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Up all night, just freaking out. Absolutely, you know, you know how it's been if you've stayed up all night. You're all ragged looking, got big black circles. You know, your, your hair is all disheveled. I mean, mine's mostly disheveled all the time anyway, but it's even worse in the mornings before I shower. Just bedraggled, stressed to the max, and he is tearing out of his, king, out of his palace towards that den of lions. Daniel! 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 
And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever! Pagan king, live forever? Daniel? Maybe start over, Daniel. No. O king, live forever. What respect and honor Daniel gives to a pagan king. To a king who does not exalt the name of God. O king, live forever. You may not like President Trump. You may not like President-elect Biden. But they are president. They are king. We should humbly, humbly come and say to them, O king, live forever. And I'm telling you, I know from my own heart how difficult that is depending on who the president is. That is a hard thing for men and women to say about their ruler. Why is Daniel able to say it? Because he knows what he declared back in chapter 2. Right? He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Why can Daniel say, O king, live forever? Because he knows that king is not the thing. That that king is not the most powerful. That that king does not, in fact, have an ultimate authority over life and death. But only God. O king, live forever. My, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they reached to the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's part of the children's tale we don't tend to focus on right there, do we? I don't know when God's vengeance will strike. I don't know when he will overthrow wicked rulers. How he will do it, by what means he will do it. He does it all kinds of different ways. right? In the book of Judges, wicked king would rule, he'd raise up a savior, a judge like Samson. Gideon, Deborah, and they would overpower the enemy and peace would rule. And then later on, Saul is anointed king and God protects his people. And then David is anointed king and protects his people. And then the kingdom falls to all kinds of pieces and God raises up various kings through various times and other kingdoms through various times to attack the kingdom that's attacking their kingdom. There are times when God raises up the enemy of our enemy to defeat the enemy of our enemy's enemy. I mean, all kinds of things God uses. And here, he uses the king to overthrow his own rulers and throw them and their whole families to the lions. It could happen. It's happened before. It could happen again. We do not know when God will visit the vengeance of the sins of men upon us. But it is his to do. It is his to do.
not ours. We have to be very careful that we do not stoke in our hearts vengeance and revenge. It's a dangerous thing to think we're in that business. We are not. God is. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the, be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, you notice it's the God of Daniel, not my God. Darius still was not converted. He still didn't believe the way we think of belief. He just knew the truth, but he did not believe the truth. But what good came of this, right? Daniel prospered. And the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, because of this, God blessed in many ways. Because of faithful men and women serving their God before a king who was wicked. I don't know what in the world God will have of us. I don't know what it will be like for my children in the coming decades. I have no idea. Perhaps there will be dens of lions. There were 2,000 years ago. The time of Christ, just after, the Colosseum existed. Christians were thrown to wild beasts. They were torn apart. It has happened before. The time of the Inquisition, 500 years ago, Protestant believers who opposed the teachings of the Catholic Church, tortured, put to death, over and over and over and over and over again. It could happen. I have no doubts it could happen. The founding of our country, right, the pilgrims' flight to here, it's because of the persecution they were receiving in the land they came from. It could happen. It may very well happen. O king, live forever. O king, live forever. What faith we need for this coming generation. And the faith needs to be bedrocked on all of us. That we all together trust that God is good in doing as he pleases with the kingdoms of this earth. Because he is good with all he does in regards to the kingdoms of this earth. I don't know what will become of it. We may be speaking Chinese by the time my children are 50. Will that change our faith? Will that change our lives? It'll change our lives, but will it change our faith in the God above? Who puts kings in places and takes them away. Who gives us faith to serve every day. Let's hope and pray that it doesn't. Have faith that the God above does all things according to the counsel of his own will. And it is always, always good. Although everything on the surface may appear bad. Nobody thought going into captivity would turn out for good. 
And yet it did. Because what do we have? We have the stories that we just read from the time of captivity. Forever preserved for us by God as his word. If nothing else happened during that 70 years, that would be enough. God had a want and a desire to preserve for all posterity these things for us, for our children. And if that is all that happened, if Daniel would have died, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have died, if no one would have been found faithful in all the nation of Israel in those 70 years, it wouldn't have mattered because God's word was being formed for us who believe. God is good. We're going to take communion this morning. And I want us to be thinking about this.